Yes. What is up, my friends? This is Simon Parsons on the Locum Strategist podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I've got a very special guest. This is a friend, a colleague, and a double board certified trauma surgeon that I've worked with in the past uh, doing some locums. He has pivoted to help out uh, physicians with burnout. He is an expert when it comes to mindset and personal development. So I thought this would be a very fitting conversation to have because today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about physician burnout and what that looks like, what to be aware of, how you can mitigate that. Uh, locums can certainly be a, a part of your plan, but he's also got some other areas that you can focus on and I'll also introduce you to him and where you can find him at the end of this episode. Felix, how are you doing today? Man, I am on fire. I, I've been looking forward to this ever since we talked about this idea because, I mean, I don't know, even just when we did the locums thing a few years ago, uh, it's always been uh, just incredible talking to you. So I don't know, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation, man. Yeah, this is way cool. Uh, just a little backstory on this. So outside of here, I do uh, a lot of uh, business coaching and it was fun because Felix and I worked together in locums several years ago, probably about five years ago, and we had a great relationship. And uh, he had some changes in his career uh, that are really relevant to this conversation. And then we connected via LinkedIn, uh, probably about six months ago, and he was letting me know, know what his pivot was. And we're going to share a little bit about that. In fact, I wanted to ask, start with that. Let's ask you a little bit more about your history. I want to hear how you became the superhero that you are. Tell me about like, you know, growing up and then getting into uh, into surgery. And then tell us a little bit more about what you pivoted to and why. Sure, sure. So, I mean, if you go way back, uh, even with the mindset stuff and what really drives me nowadays with uh, helping people finding purpose in their lives is I moved to the United States when I was 15 years old. So you can imagine if you just move, you know, to another city or another state, that's one thing. But when you move entire countries where they speak a different language and the educational system is different at 15 and you leave all your friends behind that you've known since kindergarten, and now all of a sudden you don't know anybody, you barely speak the language. Uh, that was pretty hard. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, looking back at that time, uh, that's really informed a lot of what I do nowadays. Uh, so then I finished high school uh, and I actually graduated with honors, cum laude, whatever it was, uh, uh, which was uh, quite surprising to myself at the time, but uh, I put in a lot of hard work. And I went to college uh, in Miami and I uh, was thinking of going to medicine. Uh, so I went to medical school, uh, stayed in Miami for that, uh, then ended up in Pennsylvania for a general surgery training program for five years, uh, just outside Philadelphia. And then um, I owed the Air Force, actually, uh, the United States Air Force, uh, three years on active duty uh, to pay back some of the years that they paid for medical school. And that's how I ended up in trauma surgery, because I went to St. Louis, uh, at St. Louis University. They have a trauma training program. And uh, at first I was thinking, well, uh, why St. Louis? And it dawned on me at the time, uh, actually until 2023, St. Louis was the city with the highest per capita homicide rate in the country. Uh, so it was uh, pr pretty much the right place to be for trauma. Uh, that's how I ended up uh, in, in trauma. And uh, as a side gig, I was looking for uh, additional work. And that's how we ended up uh, with the locums that you and I connected on. And uh, over the years of my personal life, uh, both between my career and also uh, myself being uh, really misguided, really having that much of a guidance uh, in my life. Uh, I really didn't have any good mentors in my life, uh, good good people to look up up to uh, for guidance or help. Um, I was kind of just trying to figure this out on my own. Um, uh, I ended up uh, getting divorced twice officially, um, although my second marriage, I 
I pretty much don't count because that lasted less than a year. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, getting it up divorced, and my ex-wife is from the uh, just around the Toledo, Ohio area. And so when she moved back here to be closer to her family, I ultimately followed suit just to be closer to the children. And uh, so that's ended up in Toledo. And uh, what I, what I realized at the time was I needed more time for my kids. And so I I did my first sort of career pivot, if you will. I went out of trauma and general surgery altogether at that time and went full time wound care. Uh, which has been amazing. I mean, I have no nights, no weekends. I don't take call. Uh, it's all outpatient basis. And I have time for my kids, uh, which has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, of course, uh, what I had actually actually planned, uh, and you, pro- I, you and I had talked about this many years ago, just before I moved to Toledo, is my initial plan actually was to go f- locums full-time. Um, but my, my, my partner at the time was really against that. Um, she really didn't like the idea of me being gone for, let's say, two weeks out of the month. And so I was looking for other opportunities, and that's how I ended up in wound care. But I think locums would have been a terrific opportunity to be able to be present for family when I was home uh, and then focus on work uh, elsewhere uh, and not be too involved with the politics of hospital systems. Well, not really just focusing more on actual patient care. Um, but over the last couple of years since then, too, uh, I, I've realized that uh, I, I was looking for more. And uh, it, through a pretty circuitous route, I ended up in the coaching sphere. And uh, I'm, I'm still in the middle of a um, uh, uh, certification program. Well, I've, I, technically, I've met all the graduate requirements for the certification. I'm just waiting for the paper in the mail right now. Uh, what I'm really working on now with the second half of the program is my ICF credentialing, so the International Coaching Federation, um, to put some additional letters after my name, because that's all we seem to do in this world is collect net letters after our name. Um, but I, I want to be a certified and credential coach uh, to help other people who've been on similar trajectories in my life um, because, uh, you know, this all sounds pretty fun and happy, right? I mean, I've, I've sort of had this amazing career, but really underlying all of that has been my own experience with my own depression, um, the, the suicidal ideations I've had over the years, uh, burnout with my career, uh, and all this stuff that, that no one else talks about. And uh, I realized that somebody needs to start speaking up about, about this stuff. And who better than me who's been through all of that? And so uh, I really realized that I needed to be an advocate for other physicians and healthcare providers who don't have access to resources to help them with the intricacies and the difficulties and the challenges of working in the healthcare field. I absolutely love that. You know, it's it's one of those things that I'm peripherally aware of, but I'm so glad to have you here as a guest because I wanted to ask you some more questions about it. I mean, you know, I talk with literally hundreds of surgeons over the course of my years, and you know, I very clearly understand their whys. And a lot of times, it does come to finding a finding more balance in life, finding a better work life balance. But I know that there's stats out there. There's crazy stats about physician burnout. And there's uh, high suicide rates. And yes, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I, w- I would love it if you describe, tell me a little bit more because you do have firsthand experience, but w- what is burnout? What causes it? What, you know, what are symptoms of it? How does somebody tell that they're burned out? You know, like, I know there's so much more to it than what I probably realize when I think about bur- burning out. I, I'm thinking about like, oh man, I was, I was training for a bike race, <laughs> like training too hard. But I know that like, this can be like, potentially a clinical thing. And there's a lot of other potential re- repercussions that fall behind that. So tell me a little bit more about burnout. Yeah. So burnout was initially described in the seventies, um, specifically for um, uh, those in the healthcare or in the helping professions, I should say. Um, and so a lot of it, uh, if you're looking at burnout and a lot of the data on burnout, it still comes out of the healthcare field, but it really could affect anybody. 
Uh, it is not a clinical diagnosis. There's no diagnosis code associated with it. And even in the international classification of diseases, the ICD-10 codes that we use to diagnose people, there is no code for burnout. ICD-11 is starting to add a code for it, but not as a diagnosis, but rather as a work-related condition. And one of the real big challenges with identifying burnout is that the symptoms are so vague and they're so different for everyone involved. Uh, you know, if, if I had some kind of broad generalization on burnout, it's having negative feelings towards whatever it is that you're burned out on. You're constantly having these uh, negative thoughts, negative emotions uh, on whatever it is that you're burned out on. So for myself, for example, um, I was very cynical about the world. Uh, I resented my job. Uh, I was even when I was at work, I was trying to get out of assignments. I was trying to to hide while I was at work. Right, I was in my office with the door closed because I didn't want people to know that I was there. I didn't want them to to tell me uh, something that I needed to do because I didn't want to do it. Uh, but there's a lot of um, uh, negative emotions associated with that, and everybody's a little different. And that, of course, puts you know it, it makes it difficult for the individual who's burned out to do the job, do the job right. Uh, it strains relationships both at work and at home. Uh, for the organizations that individuals work for, um, it leads to higher costs um, because for one, they have to make up the difference between what the person is supposed to do and what they're actually doing. Uh, but people also leave the job. And now we have higher employee turnover. And so it, it can be incredibly costly. In healthcare, there's a third party involved, of course, who is the patient. And now the patient is being taken care of by someone who's burned out, doesn't want to do the job. And now they're the ones who are suffering, right? They're already coming to, a, uh, to us in a vulnerable state. They're, they're coming to us for help, and we're not wanting to provide that help, even though it's what we sign up to do. And so burnout is an incredibly vague um, uh, condition, really. Uh, and most people, I would say, don't even know that they're burned out. But if you look at the statistics, and you kind of asked about that, uh, so if, if you look at the data from um, before COVID, there's a Gallup poll that was done on American workers across all fields, across all disciplines, and 76% of employees reported having felt burnout in their lives. 76% of American employees feel, you know, feel burnt out on something. Uh, in the healthcare field specifically, most of the data that we have, most of the good data still comes out of healthcare. And it, it kind of makes sense um, to me for one is where kind of burnout originated. Um, but on the other hand, it's also we're easy group to study. We're, we're generally fairly uniform across the country because we all have the same boards to take. We have a fairly standardized curriculum, not just doctors, but nurses as well. Um, we're already doing something that's scientific. So we're always reading studies. We're always involved with trying to figure out what the scientific evidence is between our, between our uh, care that we provide. And so being subject to research is also something that's fairly normal to us. So we're, I would say, an easy group to study. And so if you're looking at healthcare, um, before COVID, 38% uh, uh, of physicians report burnout. Since COVID, uh, based on 2022 data, it's 64%. Uh, and that, that number may even be higher in some of the nurses that have been studied. So it's incredibly rampant uh, in the industry. Uh, on top of that, like you mentioned, physicians are still, uh, year after year, uh, the profession with the highest suicide rates in this country. And uh, that, to me, it makes no sense, right? Here we have the one person who should be the best at being uh, healthy and providing healthcare and taking care of others. And it's the one person that is uh, absolutely the worst at taking care of themselves. And so, yeah, it's it's an incredibly endemic problem uh, within healthcare. Uh, and I, I can say from my personal experience that, yes, all the data is is right where it needs to be. It's it's correct. That's very powerful. And it's so honorable, honorable for you to take this on as your mission. Uh, I did want to comment about like kind of my perspective on this, because I do feel like locums has a good place to play in this because um, a lot of people get, you know, it's, it, I feel like part of the root of this is this 
industrialization, so to speak, of healthcare, where like bigger and bigger entities, and I don't want to make this episode about like the bad guys in healthcare or anything like that, but sometimes it feels based on the conversations I have with physicians that the physicians who, the people who are on the ground floor, the people who are the warriors that are taking care and healing and saving people's lives are often the byproduct of this industrialized machine that is hard, like highly driven by profit. We're, we're all here to make some money, right? I get that, but it feels like they're squeezing the orange way too hard, trying to juice this out of like our hero providers that are helping people. And the cost of this, it only increases, in my opinion, it increases the cost because locums isn't exactly the cheapest thing, but you know, it, it's a byproduct of this industrialization to sit, to create more profits, squeeze physicians more, they get burned out, they pivot to locums to take more control of the life balance, therefore raising costs. So yes. I feel like locums is hopefully it creates a little bit of balance in there. Do you have anything to add on that? No, I mean, I think you're you're right on the spot. You're absolutely right. I think locums is a, is a wonderful, easy tool for people to start regaining control over their lives. You know, absolutely. I mean, uh, just even on the on the cost side of things, right? I mean, we have known this is data that was presented to me when I was going through medical school in the in the late two thousands, right? The cost of healthcare um, has a linear correlation with the number of MBAs in the system. And uh, case in point, uh, just a few days ago, I saw a patient at clinic and he was complaining to me, doc, every time I come here, I get charged $500 for a visit. What gives? And I said, well, first of all, I don't make up the rates. I have zero control over that. But let me show you something. So we pulled up the CMS website with a physician fee schedule. So the government releases every year what the government reimburses physicians you know, for each CPT code that we put in our, our, our procedure codes, right? And so for that particular visit, for that particular code uh, that I, I built for that patient, the physician reimbursement by CMS is $39.37. So I told him, look, I, I don't know where the other $460 for the visit come from, right? I, I, but I would be, if, if I was an independent practice and I would be collecting, I'd be collecting less than $40 for this visit for myself, right? So um, yeah, the cost is absolutely tremendous. And if you also look in, uh, in addition to that, we have an aging population, a population that's getting sicker by the minute. And now we have an increased demand on the healthcare system that has fewer providers at the bedside so yeah, it's it's this this uh, vicious cycle that we're in where it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until we start fixing the system as a whole. Uh, yeah, this is good to have this conversation because I, I feel like there's certain industries that after a point, they become too costly and inefficient that they are ripe for disruption. And I do feel like locums has a part to play in that. This is episode's not meant to be pitching locums, but uh, what, where I want to go next with this is you mentioned that locums can play a part of that. And I also know that you have a, I believe it's a five, five P process on helping people deal with some of these. I would like to have you share some of the stuff that you feel like could help um, help physicians out when it comes to burnout and taking control of their career. And I'd love to hear a little bit about locums because you've done it, but also I want I want to add value to the listeners and share some, some of the stuff that probably a lot of physicians aren't aware of. Like you and I are in the personal development world. I know from my personal experience, like doing some of the mindset work, doing some of the mindfulness and like investing in the stuff that you do has radically shifted the course of my life and it feels pretty good. And I would love for you to talk about some of that because I know your passion, but I, I know that there's some real world utility for that. But let's start with the locums part. How do you see locums mitigating burnout or, or enjoyment of your career? How, 
you mentioned that uh, at one point you thought about doing it full time so you could be completely present with your family. But then when you're off working, you were there making money and you're focused on that. How does this, how does locums play a part in creating more balance for a physician? I mean, I think there's multiple reasons. I mean, for one, it takes control away from the system, right? The system I work for, they they dictate how I provide care. There's things that I have access to and things that I don't have access to. They tell me how I how to practice medicine. Um, so I, I think if we want to change the system, physicians need to regain control over the healthcare world. And one of the easy ways to get into private practice, or not, not necessarily private, but independent practice, I should say, is through locums, right? You gain control over your system. So I did the survey uh, over the last couple of weeks on healthcare providers, uh, trying to figure out what their personal experience uh, and opinions are on burnout. And a couple of the uh, the responses that I've had, actually, you know, if several responses, have talked about um, I, I, we need, A, more time off. And B, uh, we need uh, the system to respect our time off, right? There's so many people who say, even when I'm off, when I'm on vacation, I get phone calls, I get pages, I get emails about stuff when I am not working. And so that's where locums, I think, uh, can help tremendously because while you're there for your week or two or a few days or whatever your assignment is, right, you're there and you're focusing on work. But when you're not there, you're not there, right? It's no longer your responsibility to take care of a patient that you're no longer on assignment for. And so it's an easy entry point. Um, you know, when I was looking into um, a, a private practice for myself, the cost of entry from a physical, uh, from a financial standpoint was just, abs- it was just absurd, right? I mean, for my first year in business, I was looking at $100,000 or $120,000 right off the gate just to get started between malpractice insurance, EMRs, uh, resources, access to insurance companies, all that jazz, right? And that's $100,000 I would have to um, do out of pocket before I even brought any pro- uh, profits into the business. So the, the barrier of entry into private practice is pretty substantial these days. So locums, I think, is an easy stepping stone in that direction, though, because again, it takes control away from the systems. They can no longer dictate how I do care. I mean, there's obviously some regulations and stuff that you have to do. But if I'm not, not working there, I don't care about the hospital politics in that location, right? And if I don't like the hospital, guess what? I'm not signing up again to, to go back there. So it gets control, gives control back to the physician in a very easy, low barrier entry way. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of locums. I think it needs to be done. And you, you could see the same trends in the nursing world, right? I mean, what happened during during COVID? Nurses quit and became travelers. And the travelers, uh, first of all, they make more money than the staff nurses. And B, they have way more control over their schedules. And, and it's the same thing for physicians. If we become more, if we have more locums physicians, it gives control back to the physician over their time uh, and Ultimately, in the long run, hopefully that'll give us back control over the healthcare system as well. I love that. Uh, that echoes a lot of thoughts that I have. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective on it. And I think it it hits different when you hear a physician talking about it. Um, Felix, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of your steps, some of your processes to help physicians uh, take control of their internal state. Right, absolutely. So, uh, one of the first things that I did uh, as part of my uh, business in, in the coaching world is actually put together um, a package on burnout. I call the Phoenix Program. Uh, you're rising from the ashes, if you will, uh, and it's it's stooped in the five P's that you had mentioned before. Um, and the five P's are um, positivity, purpose, priming, planning, and physical exercise and play. Uh, and those are really the core foundation of the program. Uh, I have videos actually on each one of those. Uh, they're accessible on my YouTube channel uh, or, or on the podcast. So if anybody wants to learn more about any of those five Ps, what they mean and what you can do about them, that's a great place to start. Uh, on the website too, um, I have uh, a mini course. That's a free 14-day course, self-guided via email that takes you through all the five steps and what you know, all the exercises you got to do. Uh, I have a video series that takes that's a little longer. It goes into a little bit more of the science behind it. 
uh, it dives a little deeper into each of those aspects um, to really try to give people purpose back in their lives, to find meaning, to find fulfillment, to find happiness. Uh, and one of the big reasons behind that is I, I, I came across this interesting uh, research paper from, I think it was 2005 out of psychology that actually showed that many times happiness precedes success, right? We, we have this wrong, like with the American dream or what Hollywood tells us, um, it's we're only happy once we're successful. But the truth of the matter, if you actually look at the data, it's actually that it's the other way around. You know, happiness precedes success. And that's why, um, I, you know, that's how I try to approach even my coaching practices, trying to find little tidbits of happiness in everybody's life to give them some positivity back um, so that they can ultimately find the success they're looking for. But your happiness has to come first. I totally agree with it. This is why I think about like, there's so many millionaires and billion billionaires out there who are not very happy uh, because it's like, if you can't be happy now, then what makes the conditional work? Like I call that like kind of conditional thinking. If then um, I wanted to touch bases on a couple of your P's here. I want to ask you about positivity. Okay. So yes. I feel with the understanding of psychology and human behavior, this is very important to me because like seeing things from a positive light changes the actions that I take, which creates different results and outcomes, which feed back into my thoughts. I love that. I call it kind of the mindset algorithm, but uh, how do physicians feel when you, when, when we talk about positive psychology? Is it something where there's kind of this feeling of like, oh, it's a little bit woo-woo, it's a little bit out there? Or how do people receive that? And give me some insights on on your views when it comes to positive psychology, positive thinking. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, so, uh, you know, thoughts, um, our thoughts influence our actions the same way our actions influence our thoughts, right? And so if we have positive thoughts, we're going to have more positive and productive actions. Same way, once we then have more positive and productive actions, we're going to have more positive thoughts. So it's, again, sort of this self-fueling cycle of getting more into positivity. I mean, you look at it on the flip side of things, right? And I can say this from my own personal experience, both depression and burnout, when you're in a negative cycle, when you're constantly filled with just negative emotions, you can't get out of that. Right? You're just stuck in it. You can't come up with new ideas and new thoughts and new ways of thinking. Um, so if you look at the positivity ratio, for example, Barbara Fredrickson published this um, you know, a couple of decades ago, probably now. Um, but uh, hers and, and Seligman's research showed that having three times as many positive emotions as negative emotions puts you in a growth mindset. Um, so you, you want to fuel your body with positivity. You want to fuel your mind with positivity so that you can be in that growth mindset instead of limiting a restricted mindset so that you can come up with new ideas. You can enter that flow state. Now, is that all it takes? No, there's, there's more work that goes along with that as well, but that's a huge component. I think of it. Um, you, you have to have these positive thoughts, these positive emotions in order to drive positive change in your life. What is the awareness around positive psychology and positive thinking in the medical community? I feel like, you know, I'm kind of in a bubble. <laughs> like this is my world, right? <laughs> yeah, this is what yeah. I teach this is what I live by. But what, what is it like? Uh, my guess just from the outside is that these tools and resources when it comes to mindfulness and positive psychology are probably not, I wouldn't say accessible, but just apparent. How right. do physicians or healthcare workers feel about these topics and do they have access to this? Is it something that they have to, that they don't even know exists or what does it look like on that? end? And do they, do physicians tend to like be skeptical around positive psychology or are they pretty open to it? 
Yeah, no, um, it's a great question. I, I'd tell you something. It's something that I've never learned in any of my medical training, right? This is something I had to seek uh, in a completely different world. Uh, even the idea of coaching is something that most people don't know about. I mean, coaching as, as a profession is only about 30, 35 years old. So it's a, it's a relatively new profession as well. And, and the science is still developing in that field as well on, on mindset and and all that stuff. So uh, I would say in, in for the most part, most physicians are not aware of that. And uh, even based on the survey that I just put out and in me talking with uh, prior residents that I had or colleagues, um, by and large, there are two groups of physicians. And there's one group that's perfectly content with how things are and they just want to do, do what they're doing and don't want any change. And then there's another group of physicians who is upset with the system. They're burned out by the system. They're up, you know, they, they don't like the system as it's because it's running them into the ground. And all they're doing is looking for a way out. Instead of finding a way to turn themselves around first, they're just waiting for their opportunity to, to jump ship instead of creating that opportunity in the first place. Um, so I would say for the most part, it's something that most physicians I don't think are aware of. Um, some are, uh, but I think by and large, it is not something that is within our culture to talk about at all. What is priming? Tell me more about that. Priming, yeah. So uh, that's really a way of um, uh, of creating uh, in your head the future that you want to uh, want to create for yourself, right? It's future visioning uh, or manifesting your future. Those are some of the other terms that are used for it. Uh, it the easiest thing to do there is to create a vision board, right? Put put pictures up of the life you want to have in the future, so that your brain. Uh, can can take control of creating that future for you, right? So, um, for example, uh, you know, for you yourself and your your own example with with the house, right? Um, you put that house on your vision board, and it's it's not now that it's it's not a magic pill. It's not all of a sudden happens, but by you staring at the house that you wanted every day on your vision board, your subconscious goes to mind and looks for any opportunities in the real world to make that vision a reality. And so it, it, that's what priming is. It is creating in your mind. Uh, a picture of the future that you want to create for yourself um, so that your subconscious over time can drive you in that direction. Ah, I geek out. I absolutely geek out over this stuff because, it, you know, like we reject things that are unfamiliar. Our brain kind of has a way of like spitting that out, right? That's why like we're I, we're always on the lookout. Our primal lizard brain is always like trying to keep us safe and <laughs> well tucked into our comfort zone. But I think priming is a great example of making your subconscious familiar to that dream future that is possible for all of us. Uh, Felix, like what what's it cost if for, for most physicians, if they don't start putting their mental health first? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think you can put a number to that, but the fact alone that physicians still have the highest suicide rate of any profession, I think should give you enough of, a, of enough an idea of how much it truly can cost. Uh, it's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's obviously for the physician, uh, the nurse, whatever healthcare provider you're talking about, it's, it's their own personal life is at stake, right? Their own future is at stake. The relationship with their partner or spouse, spouse, their children, their family, their friends, right? And then also the patients that we're taking care of. Um, so there's, I don't know that you can put a money to it, but uh, you know, monetary amount to it, but it, the, the cost is substantial. Uh, and I think having good mental and emotional well-being uh, is so so important for everything else in life. Because if you think about it, um, you know, you know, I had this discussion with one of my mentors recently, right? And and he asked me, um, "Do you know how many people lay on their deathbed and think, man, I wish I would have worked more?' Who? Nobody would say that, right? 
everybody says, I wish I had taken more vacations. I would have taken, you know, used more opportunities. I, w- I wish I had more experiences. I would have gone, wish I would have gone to that place or, you know, chase, chase that woman or whatever, right? You, you always looking at the things that you may have missed out on, but nobody ever talks about on that deathbed, man, I wish I would have worked more. And, and that's really where we, where we work ourselves into the ground, right? Um, because we're missing out on all the beauty of, in, that, that life has to offer for us, all these experiences that we could have. Um, and we're really making our own lives more miserable by continuing with the same shit every day. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know that you could put a monetary amount to it, but the cost is substantial. I would agree with that. I always think like, you know, are you going to get to the the end and wish you would have or be glad that you did? I, on my hand, like I, I talk with people who they, they decide to take control. There's never, there's, it's never too late to take control of this, but I will say that the earlier, the better, because like, there's people that I know that have missed out on their kids, you know, their, their kids' performances and stuff. And just me seeing that and also me being able to facilitate and people being able to take a little bit more control over their schedule has shifted how I live my life. I, I am there for my children for every single event that they have. And I right. always will be. And you all have that opportunity as well. But it's about doing some of the stuff that Felix is talking about, taking control of not just your skill set, but your mindset as well. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave some resources specifically around burnout in the show notes. And Felix, I am so glad. I'm glad we had this conversation. I feel like we can uh, we could jam out for an hour and a half more. So we'll have you back on this podcast. You and I are destined to collaborate on some stuff in the future. Any last words you'd like to share? Uh, no, I mean, I would just say if anybody's interested in the stuff that I have, uh, any of my, uh, all the stuff that I have on the YouTube, so podcast, my website, any of the resources that I'm, that I'm making available, uh, easiest place to find me is brokesurgeon.com. Um, that's my link tree. It'll link to everything you need. I love it. That's an easy URL to remember. And again, I will drop all this in the show notes so you could easily connect with Felix. And uh, thank you so much. I will connect with you on the next episode.